Welcome to the Higher Ed Podcast, where we explore the latest developments and emerging trends in the world of higher education. Our podcast features in-depth discussions with the industry's leading experts, providing valuable insights and actionable advice for academic leaders and executives. From designing impactful universities and establishing strong brand identities for colleges to delivering exceptional student services, we cover it all. Join us as we reimagine the future of higher education one episode at a time. Welcome back to another episode of the Higher Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Kamar Dijarnett. I'm flying solo today. Liz has been sick. She's been on vacation, and then she's been sick again, so it's just me. But um, I am excited to have Christy Oliva with us. We've been trying to connect for a while, but you know how it is in this fast-paced world. We finally got you, Christy. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? We're happy to have you. Sure. Hi. Nice to have um, me here. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, My name is Christy Oliva. I am a program manager over assessment strategy at Amazon, and I am a former teacher, transitioned happily and successfully into the corporate world um, about three and a half years ago. And um, again, thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Yeah, this is kind of personal because we've been working in this space, too. Um, in terms of just, you know, I don't know if you want to call it the hijacking of higher ed, but just a lot of companies just basically saying, hey, you don't need 30 years of school. You know, we just need you to get some certs, some training, and we'll bring you on. So with you being where you are, you've got to be an expert on this. So, um, I mean, yeah, maybe give us a little bit about how you think about that. And, you know, where do you see higher ed, say, 10, 15 years from now? Yeah. I mean, I have a personal story that goes along with this. So I, um, when I decided to leave teaching, um, as many teachers are, are considering right now, I thought my only route was to stay in education and either become a professor or an administrator. And obviously that would mean more education, more higher education. I would either have to go back and get my master's and then my doctorate or some combination of other um, certifications to be in either of those roles. To be honest, neither of those really excited me. I wasn't excited to be an administrator. I wanted to get out of schools and I wasn't excited to be a professor because it was still doing what I was just ready to be done with. So as I was researching, like what else can teachers do? I ran across um, a trade school called Idle Courses Academy, which um, helps not just teachers, but our main base is teachers. And we help them transition into instructional design, which is a really easy fit for former teachers. And so, but before I joined the academy, I got my master's in instructional design. um, And at the time I did not know whether or not that was useful, but now on the other side of it, comparing my master's program to the Idle Courses Academy certificate program. It's a trade school. I learned everything I need to know in the trade school and nothing that I need to know in the master's program. And yet having the master's puts me a leg up on people when I literally use nothing I learned in my master's program. 
Wow. But it's valued higher still. And we're trying to change that with Idle Courses Academy. It's part of what we're trying to do is put out there like, look, you don't need that master's. We're going to give you all the tools that you need to help you build the portfolio, um, which is key for instructional designers. You have to have a portfolio. And in my master's program, it wasn't even a part of it. So, I mean, those are just a few examples of the difference that I saw personally and still see with the people, because now I'm a guest faculty member at Idle Courses. And so I'm helping people do oh, that wow. transition. And we just are teaching them all the tools. And I, I tell them all the time, because they're like, do I need a master's? And I'm like, no, unless you want to mm. have that extra leg up for those companies that still put value on it. So it's like, I really struggle with that. And then to see what's happening in education, where they're even take they're so desperate for teachers that they have started to downgrade what they expect as far as mm. higher ed goes and that is one space where i do feel like you probably need to have a bachelor's at least because in my teacher prep program we were writing lesson plans we were student teaching and now that they're taking those away i'm afraid for the the um the future of our lower education system at least because I do feel like that's a place where it probably should be in place. And yet it's going the opposite direction. We're valuing it where maybe it shouldn't be and right. devaluing it where it probably needs to hold value still. And well, that makes sense. So do you think this was ushered in by COVID or do you think this was kind of the natural, I guess, you know, metamorphosis of things, right? That eventually, you know, the training specifically in terms of what you were going to do was going to become more relevant. I think it's accelerated by COVID. I think it was a eventuality for sure. But um, so I left teaching bef right before COVID. So I kind of beat the rush. <laughs> so I like to say. <laughs> but, um, but I was already teaching online. And I really think a lot of teachers, when we entered COVID and had to teach online and more of the onus, we're going to get a little controversial here, but when more of the onus was on parents as opposed to teachers, everything fell apart. Mm. Um, like I personally experienced when I taught online, we still had to take attendance and attendance was based on them logging in, but I would have students who would not respond to me. They would just log in, turn off their cameras and leave, or they'd log in and log right back out. And I had to mark them present. And then I was still responsible for their test scores. And it's like, I don't even know if they had breakfast. I don't even know if they slept <laughs> last night or right. are they, do they have another window open or are they just playing a Game Boy while they're sitting or are they even in the same room as their <laughs> right. computer right now? <laughs> and I think a lot of teachers experienced that during COVID. And it accelerated, like, this is not where I want to be anymore. We don't have the support we want. I don't agree with, like, I didn't agree with disciplinary procedures. So much is just put on teachers. Um, so I don't know if that's where we're wanting to go with this conversation. But, man, I'm just so passionate about education and where that's going to lead people. Because I just don't even agree about, like, putting people on this path of, like, sitting still. Like, I have a new kindergartner this year first year cool. in, in, you know, public education. And it's like, they go from this preschool um, setting where they're encouraged to play to all of a sudden stand in line, be quiet, sit there. And it's like, that's studies, research shows that everybody learns better through play, even adults. Right. So why so, are we sure. now, you know, hurting people through this assembly line of education 
And then even in higher ed, like, why do you have to take those, those core classes at the beginning if that has nothing to do with what you, I mean, I think it just, it goes all the way through. Right. There's something broken. Like a lot of wasted time. So how, I mean, and this is just your opinion for sure, right? But how long do you, do you think it's going to take the kind of the, I guess the mainstream world to kind of get it and then education really start to be accelerated to whereas, you know, like we said, things that take 30 years could potentially be done in three months. I'm exaggerating, but you get the point. Yeah. I mean, I'm afraid because honestly, part of my like what a fire that is building inside of me is getting teachers out. Because at first I was like, okay, if we get all the teachers to just leave, people are going to see there's something wrong. Instead, they're blaming teachers for leaving, saying there's a shortage of teachers when there's not. There's plenty of educated people who would love to teach if the conditions were right. And then now they're just lowering the standards, the standard of entry. And it's like, ooh, this is scary for me. I thought if teachers left en masse, they'd be like, oh, shoot, we need to do something. Instead, they're like, well, let's just let a lower, lower educated right. people come in. That's right, scary. Right, 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 right. Wow. So do you, do you think, do you think a lot of this is maybe only going to be accelerated in a tech field? Or do you think this is, you know, and when I, when I say this, I mean the acceleration of education, you know, what's, what's needed and, and making sure that you really educate or train people in trades and skills and only give them what they need in order to be successful. Do you think it's just a tech thing or do you think it applies to most all industries? I think it applies everywhere because the way, I, I mean, I'm sure you grew up the same way where there was like leveling here where it's like, oh, are you going to go to college? Oh, why not? Right, and right. I think now with this COVID acceleration, going back to higher ed is like, I do think that it has given people a different perspective on like, I don't think that's really even needed anymore. Like right. I could just learn that by myself, taking like following along on YouTube. Like why yeah. do I need a four year degree or a master's or whatever when I could follow along on YouTube? And so I think with technology, we've exposed higher ed as like, hmm, is this really all it's cracked up to be? And then I've listened to a quite a few podcasts and read some research on about like the scarcity that these, um, you know, places like Harvard and Stanford, you know, these yeah. higher up schools, the Ivy league schools that they put on and they're using that, you know, that consumer status of like, we only let in the top 2% and it's right. like, okay. But then I also read a study that said, and I'm obviously paraphrasing, but it was talking about how the top like 2%, like those valedictorian salutatorians of their class in high school and college don't tend to be the most successful people mm. because they are trying to fit in the box. Right. And that's not the most successful path to put kids on. So for me, I'm even considering not encouraging my kids to go to college. You know, my oldest, she's only seven, but she wants to be an artist. And so I've been trying to find art in like all these different places around that sure. art doesn't even have to be, you know, drawing, but what if she became a graphic artist or what if she, you know, there's so many ways to, to do that. And she wouldn't need a degree right. for that. Like just cultivate that yourself and just keep so. practicing. So why, why do we put, and I'm, I'm hoping it's leveled out a little bit where if somebody says I'm going to go to a welding school, 
people aren't like, ooh, why? Right, and actually, right. they make way more than a lot and, of four-year degree yes, people. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, we, we've, we, it's funny, we've had a couple welding schools as clients and, um, couple of them i mean they they had kids moving you know from all over the country you know to go to the school and um i, I told the story about one family that they they said yeah look we'll we'll take the winnebago we'll stay there for nine months until junior finishes the program um and because i think the father was already in welding so they knew what it could do so no it, it seems like people yeah, I, it's, it's almost like a wake up call, you know, like, you know, and I don't know if it was, you know, COVID, I don't know if it was something else, but, you know, it just seems like more and more people that I interact with are starting to see that. I've even, you know, done, say, podcasts on and offline where people say, hey, I've been in higher ed for 20 years, 25 years, I had all this planned out for my kids, and now we're at that point where they're 18, and I'm starting to reconsider, you know, what I thought, and I'm like, wow, you know, literally kind of an 18 month span, something that you've been thinking for 20, 25 years, you're really reevaluating it. So, you know, something's happening. But, but I also think, you know, just that value of time, right? Time, I think really started to come more important to us. I, I know Gordon Gecko said on Wall Street too, you know, the most worth, you know, or valuable commodity, he said it isn't money, he said it's time, right? And, um, I think more and more of us are starting to get that. And, you know, we want to be productive, but we also want to make sure that we can spend time, you know, doing what we love with who we love. So I, I can just hear kind of the passion, even just from you. It's like, man, I'm, you know, I'm sick of wasting time, you know, let's, you know, let's, let's yeah. get them the education they need and, and nothing more. So, so is Harvard here in 20 years? I mean, what do you think? I think it still will be. I mean, but I do think that was one of the areas um, that I heard about that pe that the students were complaining the most was yeah. like, hey, I've paid for this top rate education and I'm doing self-directed learning online exactly. and don't even have office hours with my professor. Like yeah. I could go somewhere else for this and I'm paying top dollar. And there's a quote, I can't remember who it, who it was, some some leader, business leader who says, when the tide goes out, you can see who's skinny dipping. Warren and Buffett, yep. Thank you. Yes. And <laughs> I mean, I think that was a prime example. The tide went out and it's like, yep. wait, what am I paying for? Exactly. With this education? <laughs> am I paying for just being able to step on campus? And that, <laughs> is it worth like five times? Right, the right, state right. school down the street. I think that's right. the question we have to ask ourselves too, is they've put the value on that themselves. Yep. We're just saying we agree with it, but all we have to say is, sorry, we don't agree with that anymore. And everything we starts crumbling down. As consumers. Yep. Are you struggling to scale your student prospects? Well, look no further than Engine Systems. Our BPO lead generation service is specifically designed to help you generate qualified student prospects, increase enrollments, and provide your team with a stress-free experience. Partnering with us is a breeze. We offer rapid deployment, a fixed cost structure, and seamless scalability that won't impact your internal systems. We take care of the entire prospect generation process, offer growth strategies and resources, and have a proven track record of delivering impressive results. But best of all, there are no costs unless a student is admitted. So why wait to become a leader in student recruitment? Contact us today to learn more about how we can help you scale your student prospects and achieve your enrollment goals. 
With Engine Systems, you've found your solution to student prospect scaling. So, so you you with Amazon, right? Um, but so when you start thinking about the Amazons, the Apples, you know, what do you think maybe sparked them to start, you know, kind of some of their, you know, paying for training and just having people trained and starting to build curriculum? Did that just come out of nowhere or, or where do you think, what do you think kind of sparked them to doing that? Well, I think these bigger companies have it right. Like, I don't know if this is part of their intention, but what I mm -hmm. see at companies like Amazon and I did a contract with Google and I saw it happening there too, is yep. a lot of people just move up for the company. They cultivate long-term employees. So, you know, I work in learning and development and I see a lot of people who, this was has been their only job as Amazon, but they started out as a customer service associate. Yep. Then they became a team lead and then they became a trainer and then they became an instructional designer and then, and then, and then, right? And did any of them have to go get a four-year degree to keep moving up the ladder at Amazon? The answer is no. Maybe right. they have to go get a certification if they want, right. like, let's say they wanted to transfer over and be, you know, like a software developer. Then, yes, there's skills they have to learn. But did they make them go back to college for that? Not necessarily. They just have to prove that they can do the job. And I think that's what's lacking here. And again, that story I told at the beginning of like, I got my master's, but I wouldn't have been able to prove I could do anything to get right. me a job besides that label behind my name. Right. But then I went to the certificate program that not many people know about still. I mean, it's growing right. now since it's the only trade school for instructional design and online learning. But I learned everything in that one. So it's like, wow. why is the value so skewed when if they knew what I learned in each one, they'd be like, oh, shoot. No, I want this one. Right. 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 So. So what, what do you say to listeners, right? You know, parents that are like, hey, you know, everything you're saying makes sense. But, you know, just the, you know, the reputation of the traditional model. Um, I'm really scared to kind of direct my child outside of that. Right. What do you say to them? I mean, I would just tell them to do some research because it doesn't take long to find people who just clawed their way through. And I, again, I think that's going to become more and more common now, but I try to surround myself with that. Like the fact that I listen to Mike Rowe a lot and he, you know, it's all about the trades and how successful they can be and how we, if, if they had been pigeonholed into a four-year degree, not only would they not be doing what they love but they would have wasted money on a degree that possibly doesn't even mean anything. And that's the thing. There are so many four-year degrees you can get that have zero consumer value, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just spent a ton of money on, I mean, Dave Ramsey, you know, says underwater basket weaving, like you could, you can yeah. go major in whatever you want, but is what's the return on investment is the question there. And so I think that's the biggest question parents need to ask is what's going to be the return on investment. And I also highly encourage parents that you are still their parent. And at 17 and 18, I mean, they're not even legally allowed to drink yet, but we are expecting them to hold complete control over their future. And we're just saying, this is what you're going to do. I, I mean, there's a lot of people who are accepting the idea of the gap year a little bit more. I embrace mm. that as well of like, hey, go 
get out in the workforce and just see what kinds of things you like, like get into some internships, do, wow. do some things around, around town. Right. And like, find out what your niche is, what your goals are, what you even like, because so many, I don't know the numbers, but I bet it's high of how many freshmen go in and have no, like, how many undeclared majors are there probably as a freshman? I bet the numbers are quite high. And that means they probably shouldn't even be starting college yet. You don't know what you want to do. So go figure it out for a while. Go travel, whatever it is, you know, when else could you do that when you're 19, 20? I mean, I wish I had done that, honestly. Now now you you spoke about this a little bit uh, just now, but also offline. Um, Could you tell us a little bit more about the Mike Rowe approach? Yeah. So Mike Rowe, if you don't know, he is the host of Dirty Jobs and um, is just a really well-known person in this space and has a scholarship program for getting people into the trades. And so for me, I I see his model as the future um, of really just finding out what do you actually want to do and what are you skilled at? Right. Because you tend to enjoy things that you're good at. So let's find what you're good at. And I don't think elementary school, middle school, or high school are good at helping you find that stuff. Again, unless you fit in the box. Right. But how many CEOs or even just highly successful people do you hear their story and they said they were a dropout or they just couldn't pay attention in class? That tells me something's broken. The people who break out of the box tend to be the most successful. So why are we rewarding and lauding the people who are fitting in the box? Like I almost hope my kids break some rules and, you know, disrupt class a little bit because I'm like, ah, the research is showing that's showing most success. I don't want my kid to be top of the class. You know what I mean? Right. right. I want my kid to be truly successful. I'm looking at the research. I'm looking at the statistics. And so again, micro is a big advocate for that. And just of getting your hands dirty and not being afraid to not go to college and instead to embrace a trade. And if you think about it, that goes all the way back to just pre-military education, which is what education is based off of. It was made for the military. And so most of our kids aren't going into the military. So let's let's find what they're good at and let's push them in that direction. No, absolutely. We um, I can't remember the guy's name, but we've even taken courses with him. He talks about, you know, kind of how to get the best, you know, out of yourself. And, you know, you know, a lot of these models have quadrants, right? There's a Y-axis um, and an X-axis. And this one is built on, you know, kind of productivity or what you're good at, but then also what you're passionate about. And the closer that you can get to kind of, you know, whatever that career or, you know, um, what you embark on, if it's something that you're really great at and you're passionate about, that's when you're going to be able to you know, kind of maximize your success and your production. So I think just hearing you kind of speak about the the micro model, but then talking about that gap year is so interesting because it's almost like you're saying, you know, not for everybody, but for a lot of people, we're just jumping into something, right? Undeclared, right? But we don't know what we're passionate about. We don't even know what we're good at. And before you know it, we're potentially wasting time, potentially wasting money. Um, And, 
<laughs> unfortunately, some of us potentially get trapped in that for the next 20, 30 years of our lives. Um, but we never had an opportunity to find out what we love and what we're good at. So no, that I, I can see why, you know, that gap year, it, it's only one year, <laughs> you know, but if you were able to stumble upon greatness story that year, you know, imagine how much better your life could be. So that's a really interesting concept. I like that. But you Last, wouldn't need that gap year if our lower education system was set up to yep. help you thrive in what you're good at. You know, well I mean, I think some teachers are trending that way by like yep. letting kids lay on the floor to do their work or whatever. But it's like, as adults, I need to get up and walk around more often than my children get to walk, get up and walk around in school. That's, yep. that's. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That, yeah. That doesn't make me feel great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. I read somewhere we're literally trained to sit down in a cubicle during the most productive uh, <laughs> uh, time, of, you know, of the day, right? The sun's up, you know, the weather's <laughs> beautiful and we're sitting in some building inside some cub cub cubicle typing something, right? right. Um, yeah. I, I get your point there. Well, that was That was almost actually a perfect place to end it. But I did want to touch on how do you think AI plays into all of this, if at all? Hmm. I mean, I'm thinking personally about um, in my work, since I'm in a, I work on assessments, it's the future of assessments for sure. Like a lot of things that we need to be able to assess are one-on-one. -on -one. And so even thinking about in elementary school and stuff, when the teacher has to pull each kid and do this assessment, AI can help with that once it gets to that level where it's like, you know, you think about Alexa, for instance, and she sure. might start talking to me, but, you know, <laughs> if you could picture her as an assessment tool, right, where you could program her to assess kids reading capabilities. And so then the teacher wouldn't have to give their attention to only one student and ignore 25. Instead, right. that kid could go in a room with an Alexa and be assessed or whatever. And we could be yep. assessing way more, personalizing that learning much more. So for me, it's it will personalize the experience for our learners if we're able to engage AI in the right capacity, because it'll be responding to us and we'll have our own personal little life coach or educator right. or whatever it is. So sure. I'm hoping we we trend in that direction. Um, it's definitely possible. You see how with shopping, it personalizes <laughs> that experience for us. So Absolutely. why couldn't it personalize our education? Absolutely. Well, I can't think of a better place to end it than right there. Um, your passion and energy is off the charts. Um, had a really great time. Please let us audit our audience know if you got social media, LinkedIn, anywhere they can meet you, website or anything. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, Christy Oliva. I have a podcast called Leaving the Classroom. So check out that podcast, especially if you are a teacher or know a teacher. And basically what I do is I give little 10 minutes or less um, little tidbits on helping not only gain the confidence, but the skills to know that you are worthy of another position and um, and break out of the abuse of the education system. <laughs> there you have it. Take care. <laughs> I really appreciate you. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Higher Ed Podcast. To learn more about the topics covered in this episode, please visit engine.systems. 
Be sure to join us again next week and every week thereafter for more cutting-edge insights and practical advice to help you stay ahead in the dynamic world of higher education.